Welcome to Seemingly Ordinary. It's a podcast where I interview people who on the surface look totally ordinary, but underneath the surface, there are amazing things happening and going on. Personally, I've always been fascinated by large families. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, sometimes even more kids. I just think that these are really amazing, fascinating families. In this episode, I get the chance to interview Leanne Oakes. Leanne Oakes is married, has six kids, including one who has had daunting medical bills, and she is the owner of Level Up STEM KC. She also teaches AP Statistics and Math at St. James Academy in Lenexa, Kansas. She's lived in St. Louis, North Carolina, and Kansas City, and has taught at a wide variety of schools. I wanted to figure out how she does it all. Today, we're here to talk about how to focus on your family first while still making ends meet and also making a contribution to the world. Because making those ends meet also caused Leanne and her husband Rob, who is ex-military, to add tremendous value to other people's lives. Hi, Leanne. Hey, Tim. So you and your, your I'm sorry, you and your husband have six kids. Yeah, we do. <laughs> Are you able to name them all? Just kidding. Uh, I know you are. What are their names? How old are they? Yeah. So um, my oldest is 15. His name is Robert. And my second oldest is Caleb. He's 13. Michael is 11. Hannah is 9. Adelaide is 6. And Andrew is 3. Okay. Now, part of the reason I wanted to talk to you is, is I just feel like... A lot of people, myself included, just wonder, how is it that a busy wife, a, a busy mom with six kids can manage to teach and then plus have a business on the side and just seem like she has it together most of the time? Uh, you pull off a wonderful illusion with that, but I, I mean, <laughs> I think it's a reality. I just, that's part of the reason I wanted to interview you. Um, yeah, so yeah, that's a lot to unpack. So, um, it's pretty countercultural right now to have, to have uh, a larger family. Um, but I, I really think it's all about where your priorities are and, um, putting first things first, deciding what those really are, um, and, and being other centered. I think that's really what it's about. Okay. Well, let's get a few basics out of the way. Um, how old were you when you got married? So, um, I was 21 when okay. I got married and my husband was 22. Um, and, um, it was really, a lot of people were nervous about us getting married young, but, um, actually that has been one of the best part of our lives because we were able to go through all those struggles and just starting out on our own and all of those things. We were able to do that together. So we grew and struggled together as a couple. And so that really has made our marriage stronger. Okay. Um, I've read a few authors. I guess they are contrarians. And some of them were women. And they said things like, it's better to have your children in your 20s because you have the energy to chase them around, for one thing. And then another thing is, is that, let's face it, in the career world, when you're in your 20s, people get pushed around a lot. You get pushed around by older people and you don't even know you're getting pushed around. But if you're in your 30s and if you're a mom and you've been around the block a few times, at that point, it's just a lot easier to tell people no because you have family as a priority. 
I was just wondering if you had any thoughts on that, on being being a young mom versus an older mom, and and not that people necessarily choose when, but but some of the advantages, I guess, of being a younger mom. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I have a lot of friends who wait until they're in their mid thirties to to start having their families, and and there's a couple. Um, I mean, I had kids when I was my first child. I was 24, and my last child I was 36. So, um, so I've kind of had him in, in different times. So, one thing I would say is that um, when you're older, like like to pretend that your body is the same at 36 as it at, is at 24 is completely ridiculous. Um, I, I think that pregnancy definitely is harder as, as you age. And so I think a lot of times when people start late, they are later than they, um, pregnancy is so hard that they're discouraged from having further children. So that's one thing. The other thing is like, if you wait until you're 35 or something to start having kids, like your fertility is just a lot different. It's a lot harder to get pregnant. Um, if you start your family at 35 than it is if you start in your twenties. Did you also feel that it was easier to chase two-year-olds and three-year-olds around in your 20s versus in your 30s? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I like to say that my kids keep me young and, um, you know, give me energy for that. Like, like I feel like I can kind of absorb some of that energy from my kids. But definitely, um, I, think, I think it's easier to have a little bit more energy when you're younger than when you're older, for sure. Well, I'm, I, uh, I'm not chasing around little kids, but I, I will say from my point of view, I started running marathons when I was 38, and then I ran a lot of marathons by the time I was 48. So I was in my 40s, and I was running these marathons, and most of them were between about three hours and 30 minutes and four hours. And what I found was, is yeah, I could run a 26.2-mile race at an eight-minute pace in my mid-40s, but pretty much day in and day out, I really had to conserve my energy all the time, and I just don't really remember having to do that in my 20s. In my 20s, it just felt like I had this endless supply. I felt like a solar panel powered by the sun in Arizona, and then in my 40s, it was more like, oh, I live in Alaska, and we only have like three hours of sunlight a day. I'd better watch this very carefully. That was just kind of my experience that no matter how much energy you think you have in your 30s or 40s, just in your 20s, you're just a rocket. For sure. I think that's true. Also, um, for women, again, um, healing healing after pregnancy um, is a lot easier mm. when you're 20-something when you're than 30-something. It's a lot easier to um, – you're never going to have that, that – baby body back but like to lose the weight and to feel like you have energy and um if you've had a c-section like like i've had five c-sections that that healing is um it, it's easier when you're younger your body just snaps back just a lot more quickly yeah and it's not easy ever but like it is quicker when you're younger okay um you had quite the series of adventures with your fourth child hannah would you tell me all about Hannah? Yeah, for sure. Um, so Hannah's amazing. She's nine. She, um, yeah, she is she changed. She changed my life. So she, um, when she, when, when I was 20 weeks pregnant with Hannah, we, um, at a routine ultrasound, 
were told that it appeared that she had spina bifida and she has the most severe form of spina bifida. Um, so spina bifida means open spine. So the basically the bottom four or five vertebrae of her spine did not form properly. So there's actually no, the vertebrae doesn't wrap around her spinal cord and all through pregnancy, her the bottom of her spinal cord was exposed into the amniotic fluid. Um, and so she had to have um, surgery to repair that when she was one day old. And then, um, then she has other kind of complications that go along with that. Um, she also has hydrocephalus, so she has um, a shunt that removes fluid off her brain. And then um, because it's a spinal cord uh, injury, it does affect her function kind of basically from the waist down, um, you know, in terms of like how much feeling she has, partial paralysis, um, how much feeling she has, what she's able to do <clears throat> and not do. And um, yeah, so she, um, um, but she's, she's, she's amazing. She, um, you know, she has, she has taught me that like, it's, it's really all about like, like how we do things, um, might look different, but, but we're still doing them. And so, um, she, she's just, she's just a beautiful example of like how you don't really know what's going to happen in the future, but like that, the, the plan that is laid out for you is greater than the one that you would have had for yourself. So at the age of nine, I mean, that's, that's pretty amazing. It sounds like she's had to overcome a lot. And also that your family has just really had to work with, I, I guess, just all the things that people have a hard time working with. There's the medical problems, and then there's the medical bills, and then you're folding her into a family with three kids already. Uh, what is her life like today at age nine? Yeah, so she she loves love, love, love school. She has an amazing sense of humor. She um, she a lot of people ask me when when if they get a similar diagnosis, like what can she do? So she she swims, she skis, she plays volleyball. She um, something else I'm missing. Oh, she dances. She um, so she she does a lot of the things that that other kids typical age do. Um, but, um, she, so she uses, she uses, um, forearm crutches to, to walk normally. Um, she wears braces on her legs. She doesn't use, um, her crutches inside the house or inside the classroom, but would use it inside a larger building. So when she's at school walking down the hall to another classroom, she would use her, we call them sticks because walking sticks are way cooler than crutches. Um, so, so she, she uses her um, her sticks for that or, um, different things. And then she also uses a wheelchair when we're out like doing long term thing, um, long distance things like, like taking family walks or going to the zoo or going to an amusement park or going to something like that. Um, and so she's, she's able to, um, she, she, um, can push herself unless it's, unless it's quite the hill, then we, we assist her, but, um, just for safety. Um, but, but yeah, so she's, um, she's done that. She's had like 10 different surgeries, um, everything from, again, from like back closures to brain surgeries to, um, feet and ankles to just different things. So, um, she, 
um, has that experience. Um, and, I, and I think it really has made her stronger. Um, she understands completely that like in order for her to do the same thing that somebody else might do it, um, she has to work a lot harder than they do to get there. So last year for the first time she learned how to swim unassisted. Um, and we like, we were in the pool twice as often as everybody else. And I was in the pool with her trying to push her and, and there were a lot of tears. And I would have to, she would say, it's hard. It's just too hard. And I said, I know it's really hard, but at the end, when you do it, is it going to mean, like, who's it going to mean more to? The person it was easy to or the person who worked really hard? And she was like, I know it's going to mean a lot to me. And so she she understands that she has to work harder than a lot of people. And, and then that makes her really proud of herself for, for um, that fortitude. So, so while I would never say that her disability defines who she is, I will say it's very formative in her life and is a big part of um kind of her experiences and so um it, it does it has formed her um our family has been affected um a lot with it um i think we have a much more supernatural outlook but also like just practicality like like the boys oh my they do not treat her differently <laughs> they treat her like they would any other sister sibling or whatever like I remember one time my husband dropped the kids off at school and he texted me and he was like, not one of the boys held the door for their sister. And he's like, I don't know if that's a win or a loss. Like, I don't know if that's a win because they see her as every other kid and she can do it on her own or if that's a loss because they didn't <laughs> hold the door for her sister who needs her arms to walk. So, um, you know, so things like that. Um, I think to um, our kids know that, that, our, our family looks a little bit different because we have to make choices. Um, we have to make choices because of that. Like, um, we never, ever, ever make it into a negative thing, but you know, like they, they know that it, it costs more to have a sister with different needs. And, um, they've been like my, um, third oldest, Michael, who's just two years older than Hannah. He, he was at every doctor's appointment and every, therapy session for the first three years of his life. So like our first three years of her life. So, um, so getting kind of drugged to all those things, you know, there's that element. So, um, yeah, so it has definitely affected, affected all of, all of them. But I do think that they see, um, they, they see the goodness in that. And they also notice too, how, um, Hannah naturally attracts people. People come up to her, um, and ask her, you know, and just talk to her. Of course, she's super outgoing. So she, um, she's constantly evangelizing in the sense that like, just talking to people and making them feel good. And, and my, my older boys especially see that and know that, um, Hey, like there's like, there's something different physically, but there's something happening on a, on a different level also that, um, that is very attractive about Hannah. And so, um, or maybe it's just disarming, like people, maybe that's what it is. I don't know. But um, they recognize that like when, when they want to be good people, they have to work a lot harder. <laughs> it's easier <laughs> for, um, for Hannah to bring goodness out of people than it is maybe for the rest of us. Wow. This really seems like she is a, a just a unique and special person that you've, you've just outlined so many interesting things. 
Would you say she's more of like a type A driven, I'm going to do this by gosh, or more of a type B, laid back, easygoing, or a type Z where you blend the two of them? Or what is she? Yeah, she's definitely a type Z. So um, she was the... um, she was the best baby. She was the most content baby that I've ever had. She was perfectly happy to, you know, not get the toy she couldn't get. She would never, she never, never, never cried, like ever. Um, she was super happy. Um, but, at, you know, as she grew up, like, she never said the word no. It was really huh. funny. She said, she didn't say no until she was probably two and a half. Before that, she would say, I don't want to do that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so she she was um, like a really really happy kid, um, and then um, as she got older, she 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 is actually very very stubborn, and she can be very and and, and again I just I just gushed all over her, but now here you see that like I'm not somehow naive of, of, of my child's imperfections. She can be very very manipulative with her disability, walking the exact speed to make me mad because I know she can do better, but knowing that I will not make her walk, you know what I mean? Cause like, I want her to walk so that she can be with the family, but like that she does it so slowly, even though she doesn't need to, to be manipulative. So, and, and seeing how that, that plays out. And then, um, but then also very, very stubborn and um, in some ways and, and us having to decide, well, Okay, well, we're going to have to um, be a little bit more um, better first time listener, but also knowing that like those, those, um, you know, that stubbornness can also be a positive in other areas too. So yeah, it's kind of a, yeah, it's, it's kind of all together both. See, this is the thing about traits. Um, traits, I think I read this in a personality book, are both positive and negative. So you could say somebody's tenacious, they won't let go, and then people will praise that. They will say, you've got determination, you never say die, you don't quit. Uh, Or you could say that person is a stubborn blockhead, Uh, they don't know when to quit. I mean, that's the thing about traits. One person is patient, the next person is a doormat. Uh, It's just, the best thing I think I ever read on traits was, the question is, are you the master? or the slave to your own temperament. So if you're a bulldog and really, really dedicated, do you know when to shut it off? That's that's really kind of the key thing. It sounds like she's really smart and really charming. And uh, of course, the dark side of charm can be manipulation. And and smart, right? So like, um, she's she's to, she she is very bright. And she, but she knows, she knows she is. And so she can, she can manipulate with that too. So, um, (laughs) but like we always said, like our job as parents is to take those things and help guide them in like a positive direction and like recognize that like, like, like you are who you are. I can, I can lead you to make positive use of that versus negative. Um, So, yeah. Yeah, we work on that. Something we work on. <laughs> so you don't think children are born a blank slate upon which parents can write anything they want? 
Um, I think that any mother of a large family would laugh at you for saying that just because like our, we, we are amazed sometimes when we look at our kids and we're like, how do these six children all have the same two parents? Like it is like, they are so very different personality wise, all of them, um, that we, we could, yeah. If from the very smallest. And, and of course you could talk about like birth order and things like that and how those environmental things absolutely, you know, probably help form who you are as a person. I, I definitely believe that, but, but they're not just, they're not blank slate. They, they got, they got their own personality. And I think my two that are the most stubborn, Hannah and my, and Caleb, who's my number two, they're both, they were both NICU babies. Okay. They had to come out fighting. Mm. And so I think that those like, fights even when they're like so teeny tiny i think that you know you come out fighting it, it's gonna be hard to get, <laughs> like to make them somehow no no longer stubborn like that's yeah right it's a it's a prior right it's a prior condition it's just it's like i don't know maybe somebody being outgoing versus somebody being shy it's just set from a very very early age perhaps um you know i've been speaking with a mom a different mom who also has six kids and uh, she really believes that you can tell many aspects of a person's personality within the first two, three days of the baby being born. And I would like your opinion on that. Um, well, I would, I would just say that that may be true, but I'm not really sure that, the, that, the, that I, as mom, was cognizant enough to be able to recognize those things, um, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, that, that might be harder for me to just recognize because, like, I'm not all together with it after the first two or three days of having a new baby. Right. How about after the first year? Can you tell a baby's personality within the first year? Absolutely. That ba- Absolutely. That baby Chad is different than baby Brad or that Lacey and Macy are different than Tracy and Stacy? Abs- absolutely. I remember with um, Caleb, again, he's my other super stubborn kid. Like I remember him having like huge temper tantrums that would last 30 minutes, like 30 minute temper tantrums at like nine months old. And I went to our pediatrician and she was like, um, like nine month olds don't have, don't have temper tantrums that are that long. And I'm like, well, mine does. And he would go, (laughs) he would go to like, he would make sure that you could, you could not, he would go, he would never have his temper tantrum on the carpet because he knew it would make as much noise. So he would go to like a hardwood or like linoleum or something and and have his temper tantrum there so that he could make sure that you heard him the best. This is an extremely well thought out temper tantrum. Yeah. Yeah. For a nine month old. Right. That's what they were. Oh, oh, they can't have temper tantrums like that because they're not manipulative yet. And I'm like, well, (laughs) <laughs> so I would say definitely. Um, or my, or my eleven-year-old. Um, he was a super like easygoing baby, but he never did anything like on his own. Like we had to teach him how to crawl. He mm. had to teach him how to cruise and all those things that like typically would come fairly naturally over time with with kids. We had to actually direct teach him, and I just remember thinking like, oh. It's good that I know this now because that has actually continued through into education that like he needs more direct instruction than maybe another kid. And he just, he just needs different things. And so, yeah, totally. By the time they're a year old, you, you know, an awful lot about them. Okay. Okay. Well, I, I think that's 
fair. And personally, that's something I believe, but, but I have to ask because I don't really know. Um, l- let's kind of talk a little bit about medical bills. Uh, maybe we could center this around Hannah, but we certainly don't have to. Um, how large would all the medicals have been if you didn't have insurance? So, so the, the, the easy answer to that, Tim, is like, I don't know. I know that in the first two months of her life, the bill would have been 350000 Um, But she doesn't have like, she doesn't have like a one-time shot condition. She has a lifelong condition that, um, you, you know, we, we, we have expenses every month for. So um, she... Because um, everything from the waist down is affected her, that includes her bowel and bladder. So she she knows how to self-cath and she does that um, um, on her own several times a day. Um, but that means that we need catheters, um, durable, durable medical supplies that come every month. So those would be like um, probably $1,700 a month if we didn't have insurance and um, Honestly, with insurance, you know, it's all about your deductible. And so, like, for us, we know that 100%, like, we know that her deductible is going to be met, usually in the first six months. Okay. Um, so we just budget that in our, in our, in our family budget. Um, so, it, I mean, it depends on what your insurance is. But um, so, so those things, and then, and then, of course, she has, you know, she had a surgery last year, and she has, has other things, you know other things that, um, like it would be just like, I I don't know if we didn't have insurance. I don't, I don't know what would happen. I don't know if, um, you know, she would receive social security disability. I don't, I don't know. Or if she would be on, on Medicaid. I don't know if the state would help with that. Um, if we didn't have our own insurance through our employers. Okay. Well, you're handling it and, and I just really applaud you for that. Um, I kind of want to get to, transformative life experiences um, because there's always these statements that when you get married, that's a transformative life experience. And then I I read this, that for most people, for example, if you didn't go through a war or something like that, that having a child is the most transformative life experience, but, but you've had six and you've lived in a lot of places and you and your husband run your own business and you seem monumentally busy to me. So, and you've just kind of told me about Hannah and just how that has radically transformed the family. Um, I I guess what I'm trying to ask is, can you pinpoint maybe within the last 10, 15 years, just something that was a big transformative moment for you in some way, shape or form? Yeah. So, I mean, I've had several, um, but absolutely hundred percent like, um, Hannah's diagnosis was probably the biggest transformative, um, experience ever because, um, I think up to that point, I mean, we'd had a medical crisis earlier, but it was sort of like an emergency. And so like it happened and it was over. Um, but with Hannah, um, we knew early, we knew halfway through pregnancy and, um, and I think maybe for the first time in my life, I really, I realized that I was not in control. There was nothing that I did to cause 
what happened. Like I didn't, it wasn't cause I ate wrong or whatever. Um, it also like, but that there was nothing I could do that would, that would make it any different. Okay. So like, I couldn't just work harder to do better or I couldn't, um, I couldn't be more fit. I couldn't eat better or exercise more to make a change, um, in her health. Um, so I really, I really realized for the first time that like, I really was not in control and there was nothing that I could do to change that. Um, and so I think a little bit of like an identity crisis, like what is, what, what is my role? Like, what am I supposed to do then? Mm. You know? Um, and so, um, that was kind of. I think when I, when I realized that like, it really isn't about what we do. It's about who we are, whose we are, whose are we, whose are we? So I'm my husband's wife and um, I'm God's little girl and I'm my children's mother. Like it's really whose am I? It's not about, it's not about what I do. And, um, and so like learning that, um, learning that I don't write the book of my children's life. Um, I can't make plans about what is going to happen in their life. Um, being able to just abandon myself to that a little bit, um, or, or a lot, just depending, um, not, not having any expectations, um, was really an opportunity for, for peace and freedom. Um, don't misunderstand me to think that that happened in like a 24 hour period. That was a, that was a very long journey and it's still something that I struggle with. It comes back, um, quite a bit. Um, every once in a while I'm, I'm at peace almost all the time, but like she told me about a year ago, she said, I don't, I don't like having spina bifida. I'm going to ask Santa Claus if he can take spina bifida away from me. And I was like, Oh my gosh, kid, I don't really know. Santa's got that. Um, if that's something Santa can do, but then having any time, you know, that she struggles, that means that I am too, just, um, because we're organically connected as mother and daughter and, um, you know, but, but being able to abandon myself to, I don't know what she's going to be able to do. She can walk now, but I don't know once she like gains weight, gets taller, I don't know if she'll be strong enough to continue walking or I don't know, um, and, and I guess like we never know that for any of our kids, but for Hannah, I have like a reason to think that that might not be something that is ongoing for her. Um, so, um, so, so that abandonment, um, to just kind of not knowing what's going to happen, um, is really, really, really hard. Um, but that's what I mean, that it was kind of life changing, just that like, and to know that, like, that we don't we're not meant to do this on our own. We're not meant to do life on our own. It's not about, Oh, just work harder and you'll get it because that's, that's sometimes not true. And, um, but to, to feel like you've surrounded yourself with, with people who are super supportive, you know, in, in your marriage and, and in your family and in your faith community or your other community where that person that says, Hey, if there's anything I can do for you, let me know that you actually call them up and say, you know what? I'm calling in that favor you offer. Because I got to be with my kid downtown at the hospital and I got two other kids or three other kids that have to 
to have somebody watch them. Um, so yeah, being able to, to let go, um, and not be in control is, um, huge on, on just an every, just between being a mom and being, and being God's little girl and all those things, um, to recognize that all of those things changed completely for me. See, I feel like this is one of those paradoxes of life because on one level, I see you as being highly ambitious, uh, having an excellent schedule, keeping six kids in uh, happiness and relative order and teaching and running this business and taking care of your own fitness and your spiritual life and having all these relationships. So I, I see all of these things that I would define as ambitious uh, and then you're coupling that with abandonment. And so obviously abandonment doesn't mean lying on the couch, eating chocolate bonbons and watching soap operas. Um, and ambition doesn't mean you have to control everything. I'm just, how in your mind do you balance, if I can frame it this way, ambition versus abandonment? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I don't know that I can give you a great answer, but I, um, so I guess about a year before we had Hannah, I started, um, really making a change in my faith life and, um, setting out my plan of life. Um, meaning like when in my day am I going to have time to pray? When in my day am I going to go to mass? And when in my day am I going to pray my rosary? And when in my day am I going to do this or that? And, um, and at first, I really thought, like, oh, my gosh, like, I'm, I'm basically tithing my day, right? So I'm taking my two and a half hours almost a day um, that I'm giving to God. How, how am I going to um, fit everything else in? And so I found um, – so, so, but, I, but I plan my day around, around those appointments that I made with God and Our Lady and all that. And um, I was actually truly um, amazed that – I had more time hmm. um, that when I took my day to prayer and I said, these are, these are the things that are going on today. Um, and like I was able to kind of really prioritize the things that really needed, really needed to get done. And that would be great if they got done. And then like, you know what, if it really doesn't get done, like that, we'll just do it tomorrow or the next day or whatever, whenever we get around to it. Um, <clears throat> And so, um, like, I think it's really that, that priority. So, um, for instance, if you came to my house, uh, you, you might be like, oh, like we have an external order problem, maybe a little bit. Okay. Um, but, but like at the end of the day, like, do I need a house that's sterile? Or do I need a house that's life giving and that my children love to be in? And um, and there's a there's a balance there, right? Like if 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 our house isn't welcoming because it's disgusting, then um, then that's a problem. But if our house, if you walk into our house and you feel like you can't do anything because you can't make a mess, like like that's not good either. So like really coming up with like a balance and. Um, and how we do that. And then also the more kids you have, the more people are helping clean. Like, yeah, you got more messes, but you have more people cleaning. So I probably actually spend like less time with that kind of a thing than I used to, um, because I have, I have more people helping. And then, um, you know, in terms of school, 
um, gosh, so, you know, I've kind of been, I remember I had a, I had a meeting with my principal two years ago and I had four different preps and he was like, how are you handling four preps? And I was like, I don't do work at home. And he was like, what? I was like, no, I don't do work at home because like, like if I don't have time to grade it at school, then you know what? The kids can wait an extra day. Like I got, you know, I have those number letters after my name and those give me the right to prioritize things over grading. Um, so, um, you know, like I have a degree and you don't like when my kids ask, well, how come like I have to do homework, but you don't have to do homework. Well, because I have a degree and you don't. So I get to make those decisions because uh, that's the that's the benefit of being twice as old as you, um, you know, that I can make those decisions. But um, so, yeah, trying to really prioritize and, and say, like, OK, um, when am I going you know, one of the things that's really important to me is to spend individual time with each kid. Mm. And some people are like, how can you have six kids and do that? Well, like I just make it doesn't have to be like, you know, 10 hours, but it's like in the summer, it's 30 minutes a day. I spend 30 minutes a day with each of my kids one-on-one. And, um, and, and I hope at some point my kids will look back and be like, my mom always made time for me, even though I only like we had, we had a larger family. So it's just, it's really about prioritizing and, and asking, you know, God to help me with that. Like if, if this is what, if this is what you've called me to, like, I'm going to need help. I, I can't, I need your grace to be able to do that. I can't do that on my own. You know, you sound like a lot of entrepreneurs that I've spoken with is you're sort of out there in the wild west. You don't know if this thing that you're putting out there is going to work or if it's going to fail. And that's why a bunch of them are religious, because they put it all on God, because you can really only do so much yourself. I I guess it's like a batter going up to the plate. You can know that you're a slugger. But on the other hand, if somebody has a batting average of 0.333, that only means they get a hit one out of three times and they make out the other two times. Uh, They sort of I mean, that's considered to be spectacular in the professional baseball world. And uh, I just. I don't know. I just think that's really, really fascinating. Do you make a schedule for yourself then, like a written schedule? I do not. I do not. Um, Like, I do a lot of internal organization um, in my mind. Like, okay, knowing, like, I know for sure that I have to, um, you know, like, these are the mass times. Or, like... um, you know, some of my routines, especially during during the school year, is is pretty set. Like I wake up at the same time every day. I do my prayer immediately, and I hopefully do a little bit of exercise. Then I get ready, and I get my kids ready, and then you know all those things. So those, but like I don't sit down and write. Okay, from like six to six thirty, I'm doing prayer. From six thirty to six fifty, I'm doing this exercise. From six fifty, you know what I mean? I don't do that, but um, um. You know, there are times where um, I I am aware that um, our schedule is a little bit different. And so then I will, like, write. And, of course, we have a family calendar. Like, I don't want to pretend, like, oh, everything's internal. Like, I don't have a calendar. Like, that's ridiculous. But, um, but like, this week, for instance, I had a few kind of unusual things that I was um, – that I was doing. And so I actually did like, okay, don't forget, like I actually wrote it down. Like, don't forget on Wednesday, I made that appointment and that appointment because, because it was kind of an unusual thing. And I knew that that sometimes can, if you're used to a routine, sometimes those unusual things can get forgotten. And I didn't want to do that. So, um, so I would say like, um, 
kind of kind of both but like and, and we do kind of have like okay i should back up i do have like an actual like um summer routine for the kids that i have written out knowing that that's never gonna happen like <laughs> right like at 7 30 i walk the dog Have i ever actually walked out the door at 7 30 walking the dog no probably not but like that's kind of you know to have like an overall structure but like being flexible enough to 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 be able to make that change like that's that's just really important if, if you have a large family. Like you can't, if you're not flexible, um, then then you're just going to be stressed out all the time. And I know that um, I probably was that person a lot, especially with school, um, before I had kids, you know. Um, oh, wow. That, that like, yeah, that like I probably was that person who was like, okay, like I don't understand why you can't get the stuff done or whatever because like, you know, like I had just different expectations and not that I don't have high expectations for my family, but knowing that like you have to expect the, um, the unexpected. So whether it's your car breaking down, um, or it's, Oh, random Saturday. And we had all these things planned, but like, guess what? Hannah's vomiting every other hour. So I take her to the emergency room to make sure she doesn't have a shutdown function. Like, and I know that's a, like you go to the emergency room. That is like a day. Okay. Like, there's nothing else happening that day, right. even if it turns out to be nothing. Um, you know, and so like not living my life as if, you know, that bump in the road is going to ruin it. Like I, you know, obviously we have like a structure and we have a plan overall, but knowing that like, whether it's a big thing or a little thing, you know, that's, that's, you can't, you have to be flexible because you got, I got more moving parts maybe than, than some people have. Cause I've got, uh, seven other human beings in my, in my house. And, um, so maybe I have a few more, um, variables than, than, than some people have. And so, um, yeah, knowing that like, it's nice to make plans, but that, um, you, it, you, we know it's going to change. So for instance, I have a colleague who, um, right at the beginning of the school year makes the schedule for the entire year with every test and every, and I'm not going to tell you that I don't do that. Like I have to have an idea of when I teach and when I'm going to teach what, otherwise I'll never get to anything. Right. Yeah. I have to have an idea, but like I am a hundred percent certain that that is not going to happen. Right. Like (laughs) I know in my brain ahead of time that I am going to schedule this and I am well aware that there are going to be 1800 things that come up and and it's not going to end up the way I wrote it down. And I'm going to be okay with that. But I, my colleague flips out every time that happens. And like, to me, I'm like, I don't understand how you can live with that much stress. Like if you, but maybe it's, again, maybe it's that just like being able to surrender that control because I've had to, um, that allows me to, to not freak out over like smaller things. Because I, I just know it's going to change. I think I see the same way that, the world that you do, Leanne. Um, as a teacher, I always believed that I need to make a plan. And uh, the the better the plan, uh, the better everything's going to be. And if I have a plan, then I'm allowed to improvise. I could go into the classroom, and then when I was teaching college English, for example, I could let discussions go where they would. And it would be absolutely fine. Because if I somehow got the conversation in the ditch... Well, then we could just go back to the plan and everything would be fine. Those always wound up being the best classes. The best classes were, I have a plan, then we improvise. 
The worst classes were, I have a plan and we're sticking to it no matter what, or they were, I don't have a plan, what do you guys want to do? Um, that was devastatingly awful. It just seems like make a plan, be willing to change. Yeah, yeah, and to know too that like, um, if you are really prioritizing relationships, which at the end of the day, mm. at the at the end of my life, when I look back, my my students are not going to be like, remember that time that Mrs. Oaks taught us hypothesis tests, like. That's not going to be what they remember. Um, at the end of at the end of my life, I, I want to be able to look back and say that like that I I prioritize people and my relationships with them. And so when you do that, you you have you have to be able to be flexible in your in your plans because you have to sometimes put their need before the curriculum. Okay, with you know if if we were in school right now. There would be a lot of discussion that wouldn't be about math, and and that's okay um, because it's what they need. It's what they need because you know what's happening on the inside. And so um, <clears throat> we, um, you know, if you're if you're prioritizing people, um, it's not that the other things aren't important, but if you're prioritizing people and relationships, like it's going to necessarily have to change your plans. Other things will fall into place if we just put people in relationships first. Yeah, and that's kind of how I figured it out with like with my relationship with God. Like if I if I make my day around my appointments with God, then like he he makes everything else that's important, he makes that happen. Because otherwise, when you sit there and list all the things that you see that I'm doing and how that must be so I must be so busy. But like I don't see it that way. Then I just it just reminds me again that like I'm living off grace, and um, because I've prioritized him, that the other things that are important will come. Do you, do you feel either lucky or blessed? Like things just sometimes drop into your lap. Oh, absolutely. Um, I don't want that to make it seem like like I'm. Um, I rely on, on, that sounds bad. No, I do. Um, so like things happen. Absolutely. So like we were talking about this the other day, my husband and I. So if you analyzed our budget, Tim, cause I know you're like the personal finance guy, yeah. you would be like, Leanne, how come your expenses outweigh your income? <laughs> and, but we're not accruing more debt. Like how does that happen? And it's just like, like weird things will happen. Weird circumstances will happen. And somehow we'll have an extra couple thousand or whatever it was. And so, like somehow it works out. And we talked about the other day, like it's not, it's, it's not something like, it's just like God makes it happen because, because we, we've chosen to put him first and, and we've chosen to give to him. So um, that somehow yeah, that somehow those things sometimes happen and, and, and we can't, they're not things that we planned for and they just happen and we're like, oh, wow. And somehow, somehow our, our, our budget balances. But it's I, the strangest it, thing that you're talking about. But I just want to mention Dave Ramsey says that that actually happens a lot to people that if they put their life and their finances in order, they will find that money just sometimes mysteriously arrives and things work out fine. So 
obviously there's people out there who are in deep trouble with money. I don't know, 15 credit cards, lots of problems, etc. He just says whenever people start to put things in order, just for whatever weird reason, then they start to get a few lucky breaks. It, it sounds a little bit like that's what's happening with you. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that. So there's, so there's that, and then, and then, and then there's just also like, like thinking back, like, um, how grateful I am that my life's plan wasn't laid out for me at the beginning, and felt like I had to, like, oh, this is what my life is going to be like. Being able to, to, um, not always know where my choices are, are going to lead. Um, is, is really a blessing. And, and so I, specifically when I think back about Hannah, like if God had told me like, Hey, like you're, you're gonna like have this child that's gonna have significant medical needs and is going to be a lot, it's just going to be different. I would have been like, Oh no, dude, I don't want that. Like, mm-mm. and I would have been missing out on like, like probably the, the single thing that I can think about in my life that has that has made me better, has made my family better. Uh, she is such a gift in and of herself. Um, the people that we have met, we never would have met um, had we not experienced experienced that. Um, you know, that would have really that would have been terrible. Like, like we we would feel so much less. And you know, or I look at my kids and I think like, oh, well, you know, once upon a time I thought I was going to have like three or four kids. You know, you plan all those things out. I'm not saying you shouldn't like have an idea. You know, it's good to like talk to your fiance or whatever before you get married. Oh, you went a hundred kids and you went one. <laughs> like we might need to talk about that. But, um, but like, you know, so we had kind of talked about that, but like at the, when I look at my family, I'm like, oh my gosh, like what would our family be like if I didn't have Adelaide or I didn't have Andrew? I didn't mm. like, oh my gosh, like we would be so incomplete. We wouldn't even know it. Like, so, you know, I do feel like, um, you know, really when, when you surrender that control, like you're, you're blessed in ways that you could not have predicted. Um, because, because God's plan is always better than the one we chose for us ourselves. Beautifully said. I think just beautifully said, well, we kind of touched on money. I think I want to ask you one or two other money related questions. So I looked it up, and in 2015, uh, USDA.gov projected that it would cost 233000 That's close to a quarter of a million to raise a single child. And mm-hmm. honest to goodness, I think that's false. And I just would like some of your thoughts on, on these figures that you hear, 233000 to raise a single child. Yeah, I don't know. That sounds like... That sounds incredibly daunting um, and astronomical. So I think about like that being um, that being like one and a half million dollars for like me to have my, my my children. Like I don't I don't think that. Now I know they'll say a lot of that is like is like I think um, childcare or like uh, zero to five. I don't know. Um, and then I, and it doesn't that doesn't count like post secondary education or like high school um, if you're if you're choosing to to go somewhere that requires tuition but that seems like a lot to me like we always said you know um well first of all i would say this so our i know so many people that will say to me like oh we want to be sure that like all of our kids have their own rooms and like well so that like limits our family size and i'm like why i don't have my own room so like why should my kids have theirs you know kind of a thing um and actually the biggest 
punishment that I can give my kids is if I say, oh, I'm sorry, like you've lost the privilege to sleep in the same room as your sister tonight. Like you need to have, like you need to be, like that. that's like a huge punishment. They, um, that's like, that's like the very worst thing that, that we could punish them with. Um, so, so that's part of it. Like, I don't know if people feel like they have to have a house if they have six kids. Well, does that mean we have to have seven bedrooms? Um, like what kind of house would that have to be like? I don't know. And then, um, so I think, so I think that's part of it. Um, I think too, being able, you have to eat some humble pie when you have a larger family. Like when people say, Hey, like I have some hand-me-downs. Would you like to look at them? Of course I would. Thank you so much for thinking of our family. Like it doesn't have to be like, they're just wanting to get stuff out of their house. They're not trying to like make a judgment on, on you and your ability to provide for your family. They're just saying like, Hey, I want to get these things out. Like you've got some kids that are smaller than mine. Would you like these clothes? Sure. I'll take a look. So we, um, we hardly ever buy clothes for our kids, um, with the exception of like uniforms and stuff. And, um, and like, especially for like boys, I'm like, yeah, I am not paying $40 for that brand name pant when I can go buy one from Walmart for $10 because either way you're going to get a hold of them, hold them in the first two weeks of school. So like deciding to like, if I know I'm going to have to like boys are hard on pants. We all know that. So, um, being able to, to, um, you know, be, a, be, accept other people's generosity. That's really important. Being able to accept other people's generosity. And then, um, and then knowing too, like finding, finding ways to save money, like, even for, for me. So like, I cannot tell you, Tim, the number of compliments I get when I wear my Goodwill clothes to school. <laughs> that is when I get the most compliments. So I'll have my $20. I'll be like, okay, I need a few things, right? I need like, maybe I need a new shirt or I need a skirt or something. I need something. Maybe I need a new pair of shoes. Like, I don't know. I don't, I don't like go and spend $50 on a pair of shoes. So I take my $20 and I go buy one or two whole entire outfits at Goodwill. We live in an area where the Goodwill here is, is pretty high end. Um, so I'll, I'll get stuff and then, and then I get, that's the outfit I get compliments on. And I'm like, okay, well, there you go. Um, like just and, and making choices about, um, you know, finding ways to, um, I think it's really important as a mom of a larger family. Like it's like, I feel like part of my way to evangelize is to, is to be attractive to others. And I don't mean like being, um, you know, somehow like, I don't need to look at movie star around to like, you know, be crazy or whatever. But like that, like when somebody sees me with my children, the last thing I want them to think is like, Oh my gosh, that poor woman, she has no time for herself. Mm. So like, so I don't, it's not, so it's not that I think that I need to be like super crazy about, you know, all those kinds of decisions. But I also think that like, I, I need to look like, like my life is attractive, um, that somebody else might want to like, Hey, look, there's somebody, they have a large family. Look how happy they look like. Um, so, you know, finding ways to, to, um, to do that on, on the cheap means like being a little bit creative and how we find, um, you know, clothes or, um, um, yeah. Or like going to salon, like, I'm going to tell you what, like, I know the salon is like a big thing right now, but, um, I, I saw today that like people are making reservations to spend a thousand dollars on a haircut in New York city. And I'm like, that is like the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Wow. Okay. Like I like to go to the, um, 
the Paul Mitchell School, okay? Because I can get my hair done and have a whole like spa day. I mean, they like really do it up. They like really make you feel fancy for $10. And I'm like, okay, there you go. Like, do I have to spend a little bit more time there? Yeah, probably. Um, than I would if I just went to like in and out salon, but, um, but it's, but I always feel fabulous and, um, and I've done it for $10. So, um, you know, things like that. So finding ways to be, and one learning how to do things on your own too. So, um, like my kids, like I cut all my kids hair and I tell them like, if you don't like the way that I cut your hair, that's okay. Now you earn the money to go to the place, to the, to the salon yourself. Like you spend your $10 if, if. If like, I don't know how to cut your hair the way that you want it. Um, but like for the girls, pretty much they're just like getting trims and the boys get like buds cuts unless they want to go spend their own money. And, and that's okay. Like, um, yeah. So I don't know, like, like just accepting other people's generosity um, and just, just being mindful. Um, I can't imagine $233,000. Like that's like, you know, Especially, you know, with like medical care, with medical care, I still wouldn't think it's, I mean, it would be if we didn't have insurance, but if, um, but we don't, I don't think, I don't think we'll spend that much on Hannah. I don't know. I don't want to think about that. But, um, but yeah, like when we had um, a new person to feed, like when we would have, when we would have more children, um, we're always like, eh, they're little for a long time. They won't eat very much. <laughs> it's just my- now that my older, my boys are getting to be teenagers. And I'm like, oh, the budget, the food budget has definitely, has definitely changed. But up until now, it's like, eh, we grow them small. And, and especially like the first year, if, you know, you nurse or whatever, then your kid doesn't need food for that. So, um, I don't know. I don't think it's as, I don't think it's that much. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's a best of everything number. My parents both came from families with eight kids. And uh, my dad always said, little kids just simply don't eat very much. And uh, rent is free because we didn't move. So anytime you added a new kid, rent was free. Transportation was often free for the new kid because you just toss them in the back seat and then you take off from there. Uh, And uh, some of the other things that you mentioned, accepting the generosity of others, I'm kind of a big fan of decluttering and getting rid of things that I don't need. And whenever I can unload something that I don't need off on another person who actually genuinely needs it, I I feel like I benefit in an extraordinary way. You're probably making some of these other people very happy. Yeah. um, I, um, I was able to give all of our like baby girl clothes um, to a couple different families. We had so many. Like, again, I didn't buy any of them. They were all gifted to us. But we had so much clothes. We had so much that I was able to divide it in half and give it to two separate families for their first, like, two years of life. Um, you know, and that was and that was a gift. And they would say, oh, my gosh, like, like, oh, you know, what do you, what do you need back from us? I'm like, well, you know, someday if, if God blesses us again, like, maybe you'll still have something. But if not, like, I'm not going to keep it around just because – you know, right. Uh, And then the other thing is like, so my sister lives in New York city. And so, um, but she, she obviously living in New York city, you'll have a lot of extra space for things. So when she declutters, she, um, I call them hand me ups because (laughs) I'm older than she is. So I get her hand me ups sometimes too. And, um, that's always a treat, but, um, but yeah, so I, 
yeah, finding ways to, to, to be creative, but not have to break the bank is, um, I think that's good. And then, and then being able to say no too. like, um, I think we talked about this the other day that the school of the large family, no, I'm sorry. You can't do that. You can't do that. And, and the kids know, or, or you can, you can, but you're going to have to earn your way to that. That like, that's not a given. Mm. Um, like for instance, um, I had a kid, like my, my oldest just finished his freshman year. So when he was in eighth grade, they do all these like eighth grade year, like party things that are like cost all this money. And I'm like, by the end of the year, it was like a hundred, I like forced my child to go to like $175 worth of activities that like really he didn't want to go to anyway. Cause he just wanted to hang out in the back with this one friend that he hangs out with. Um, but like saying, you know, to say, okay, well let's look at those and let's decide what are the things you really want to do? Okay. You really do want to go to Dave and Buster's. Okay. So, so we can do that, but like, you don't want to do this like barn thing for the fall party. Okay. All right, fine. Or you really do want to go to worlds of fun after graduation, but like, you don't want to do this. other. So like to decide, you know, to make choices about like, like, honey, I'm not like, I think it's ridiculous that you're going to spend $200 on, you know, these party things, but, um, but maybe we can take two of them that you really want to do and, and do those things. And so, um, you know, and then being able to say, you know what, um, like last year was the swim team. We don't have some team this year because of all the things, but, um, but like after every meet that they would go get ice cream, I'm like, there is no scenario where I think that going and buying a $5 ice cream at 10 o'clock at night is a good decision. Like that's not a good decision for me to give my 11 year old child ice cream at 10 o'clock at night. I don't care how much you swam. Like that just means you're going to be up another two hours. So like just being able to say like, no, like that's not a good idea, whether it's, um, you know, whether it's, you know, food or whatever, that doesn't mean we can't have any fun. So like this afternoon, we're going to go, we're going to go to the lion's choice because they have the 50 cent mini dip cones. And that's probably the right amount of snack you should have anyway. You shouldn't have, you know, the 20 ounce shake or whatever. You should have something small. Um, and so like, they're super excited because they're going to bring their 50 cents and, um, and, and go get, and go get their lion's choice mini cone. But, um, you know, just things like that. So finding ways to um, to be frugal but fun. A big lesson that I've just really kind of pulled from your life is, is that you've put a lot of thought into how to raise your kids, where to spend your money, how to balance your time. Uh, I'd like to shift gears just a little bit and ask, is it harder to have one kid or two? When you first had one and then you had two, what's harder? <clears throat> so... That's probably the question that um, I think is hardest to answer. Um, one is absolutely such a huge life change because even when you're married, like, yes, you're living for someone else, but like if something happened to you, like that person would still be able to live. Right. But like if something happened to you when you have a child, like that, that child is like, mm. right. You know, Devastated. Um, yeah. So um, so your, your life is like the way that that child needs you and the way that like your spouse needs you are, are very, are different. And so like, that's a huge life change. So it's just like, like you talked earlier about like, that's, a, there's a lot of stress there that happens, but I would say that having two is harder than one. Um, because especially when they're little, like you have to be responsible for this, like this baby 
and you're exhausted and you know, you, you haven't slept like a whole night's sleep and in months and months and months. And, um, but at the same time, you're supposed to be the entertainment for your two year old, (laughs) which is like, like that is absolutely the worst. Like being the entertainment for the toddler and, and, and having to watch them because you can't let them do anything on their own. And then being like, all the things that an infant needs is, is so, so hard. Um, but when you go to three, okay. when you go to three, all of a sudden your two toddlers, even yeah. if that's what you have is toddlers, those two kids, I'm not saying you just like shut them up in a room and not do anything with them. But like, if you're feeding the baby, those two kids can entertain each other with the blocks on the floor while you're feeding the baby. And that's not how it was before. So you know, the siblings, the siblings want to be with each other. And so, so they, they can play and, um, kind of entertain each other. Um, and and so you're not their sole form of entertainment. Um, and that's, that's huge. Um, and then that continues as, as you have more children, um, that the older kids become more and more helpful. Um, I guess, I don't know when it was, maybe, maybe like four years ago, um, our kids were old enough where like my husband and I could like go out without having to get a babysitter, having to pay for a babysitter. And that was like life changing again. So we had six kids, but we're like, I'm the only person I know with a family my size who says like, yeah, my husband and I go out every single, every single week, once a week we go out and people say like, oh my gosh, like, how do you do that? Like, how do you, I'm like, well, first of all, like we make time because at the you know, when our kids are, when we're, we're not raising kids, we're raising adults so that when they're really adulting and it's just the two of us, we want us to like each other. So that's really important. And then we tell our kids, like the biggest thing that I could do to help you have a good life is to be married to your dad, like, and have a happy marriage. And so, um, like, so this is part of living in our family is that you provide this for us, because if you want us to stay married, um, not that we're putting all the pressure on them. Like, I don't want to make it like, a, like right. if, you, if, you, if that's something that's important to you, then, then you will have that responsibility for once a week to watch your younger siblings for a few hours. And, um, we don't pay them. We, that's just part of living in our house. Um, you just have responsibilities for, for being a part of our family. Now I'm not just, that's not to say that I never pay my children for watching our kids. Like if I need to go to for like PD, and it's going to be the whole day, then like I pay them for that because I would have to pay a sitter, you know, so I usually pay them for that, but I don't pay them for like a weekly date. Um, so anyway, my, all that to say is that as you have more children, like your children become more helpful and you are able to give them more responsibilities and, um, and being able to say to my children, I, I physically cannot be responsible for cleaning and cooking and uh, all the things for eight people. Like I, it is, I am not capable of doing that. So you have to do that as being a part of our family. Like that is an incredible gift to them because when my boys, my boys, when they go to college, when they get out of college and they already know how to do their laundry and how to cook a meal and they're doing all that for like some sweet girl that they want to date, like, Oh, come over. I'll cook you something like and my toilet is clean when you come and use my bathroom. Like, like I've given them a great gift 
um, that, that they were able to grow up in a large family where I did not do those things for them and they could, um, and so they know how to take care of themselves and to be, to be like, what girl doesn't want a guy who can make it, who can make a meal and, 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 and clean their apartment and things like that. Like, like those are things that, that I want my kids to, to have when they're adults. So, um, like you have to teach them how to do that. It's not just like, oh, I'm 18. Now I can do all these things. Do you have assigned chores for each kid? Do you do a chore chart? Do you rotate chores? No, a lot of people will say that like that's a super important um, for their for their routine. At our house, it's more like um, we call it Team Oaks time. Like, okay, we're going to clean for an hour. Okay, so in this hour, you know, like you're you go you go do this. We're not super um, self motivated in the sense that like if I say, oh, just go clean. Yeah. Like then nothing is going to happen. But if I say you're in charge of this and you're in charge of that, um, they are in charge of their own spaces. So like the girls share a room and so they're responsible for maintaining their own room. Um, and similarly with the boys, but, um, but in terms of like our family spaces and sometimes they get upset, you know, they're like, why well, didn't make that mess? And I'm like, well, you know what? I washed your dishes last night. So like, you know, like we all make messes all the time. And so we all have to work on cleaning. And so like I have, I have a couple of them that um, they would much rather do the things that are like regular maintenance because they understand how they're a part of making that mess more than like specific, a specific mess. Oh, I didn't make that specific mess. Um, but like they do understand how like dusting and vacuuming and bathrooms and things like that are like constant maintenance things that always have to get cleaned. Um, but but yeah, like so we don't have like specific chores. We kind of just say like what needs to be done like today, and then I divvy out I divvy out the jobs. I try to rotate it because um, you know I want them all to be able to vacuum competently and all be able to to do the different things. Um, the older kids are responsible for their own laundry, and if they ask, I'm happy to help. But like I'm not going to go collect their laundry for them, and you know do that. <laughs> like they need to decide when it's time to do laundry. I think you're really setting them up for college well. I just remember going to college and a bunch of the 18-year-olds I was surrounded with couldn't cook a thing, didn't know how to do laundry, couldn't handle any sort of chores whatsoever. And uh, a bunch of them actually didn't do all that well in their classes either. I think maybe there's a responsibility spillover that comes from just doing the maintenance of life. Um, you answered a bunch of other things that I was kind of thinking about with that, such as do you rotate chores? And it seems like you kind of do with that. Um, I guess I want to shift gears just a little bit and ask, how do you have time to have a business on the side with everything else that you have going on? Yeah, um, I'm not sure, but, but we do. So um, we discovered... Well, really, it's sort of my husband. Um, so my husband's an engineer. He's an electrical engineer. And when he was a manager and he was hiring people, um, he was he was seeing this, like, all these, like, new engineers that were coming out of college were saying things like they got great grades, but, like, they didn't ever tinker. They weren't really curious about learning how things were done. Um you know, kind of, and, and so they had all these like book smarts, but they didn't like, what, what projects are you working on on the side? We're not, I'm arguing at anything. And so we kind of were like, wow, like maybe, maybe we need to like take a look at what's happening before college. And so, mm -hmm. and then, and then of course, you know, um, 
as as female math major, not a ton of um, you know not as not as many uh, women in math or um, engineering. Of course, like my husband, I think an electrical engineer is about ten, maybe twenty percent of the field is women. Um, and then really trying to examine that, like why is that? Um, and, and I think a lot of it just has to do with differences in men and women, not in a sexist way, but just valuing different, different things, which is, which is why, like, for instance, in chemical engineering, it is about 50, 50, um, and it's an incredibly difficult discipline, but why is electrical so much more, um, men? So, but we also decided that, that part of it is that like kids, kids are so, they're using so much technology but they're only using it. They don't understand how to create it. So we, so we kind of, so we started with just like what kind of we saw and um, how we really wanted, um, so kind of some deficiencies that we saw um, like on Rob's end um, and what he was seeing and then, and then kind of looking at our, our own kids' experience. Um, not that and, and we're very happy with their education but just like that there's um you know all this push for like technology and technology but like really it's all about use versus creation and um so we just so he actually started just at our real small like at our kids school doing um some like first lego kind of things um lego has um kind of a progression um of different competitions that they do um that they provide so it was it kind of just started off with like lego club um with a little bit of engineering um in there and then um but it's still he always wanted it to be more and so really about two years ago maybe maybe three now we like officially like started the business um and um you know, it was code. So now it's like coding club, coding club in the um, afternoons. And I think we're in four different schools. Five. We might have been five different. We've been in five different schools. Um, and so, but what is so? What's great about that is we're helping kids learn how to create um, technology. But we're still like not really where we want to be because we still just feel like well those are the kids whose parents want them to do that or those are the kids who already know they're interested mm. so for us it's really about we want every single kid to have access to these things and it shouldn't matter what school you go to or um what socioeconomic class you come from like i can't think of anything better than going into um you know, a 95% free or reduced lunch school and giving them this tool where they're going to come out and be able to create technology, um, giving them a boost that way. Like I, I can't think of anything better, um, than that. So, so really it's really about what we, um, what we have seen and what we have, um, what's important to us, um, uh, that every single kid gets this. It's not, not that it should be an elective. It should not be an elective. It should be like part of their, um, part of their every person's curriculum and instruction and then the other thing that we have seen a lot of is of course you know this tim you know that everything is like stem 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 guess what nobody knows what that means and so um 
you know, like, I know you have a colleague, as do I, that says, like, isn't STEM just like a regular education? Well, I mean, there's truth in that. But, um, except without without history, right? <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> but, um, or especially when you add in, like, stream, when you make it into stream, now it's like this, like, isn't that just what we do? Um, and, like, having conversations with people that will say things like, oh, yeah, we have a makerspace at our school. And I'll say, oh, wow, that's awesome. Like, what do you do in your makerspace? And they'll say, well, we build we build things with toothpicks and marshmallows. And I'm like, dude, you do not need a makerspace to build things with toothpicks and marshmallows. Like, why, why is the classroom not adequate for that? Not that building things with toothpicks and marshmallows isn't an, an activity you should be doing. But, like, that's not STEM. And um, what we're seeing more than more is, like, nobody knows what those words mean. They're just using them because it's the buzzword. And so um, having somebody like in the field, having Rob in the field that can provide something top down instead of bottom up, I, I think that's what I think that's what we need because it's not fair for your math teacher to have to figure out how to add in engineering. Like I know I teach the engineering, right? It's my husband, my husband tells me what to do and I do it, right? So like I I've learned a lot, but in order to really make that adequate, like I need a lot more than what I've got. And it's not, it's not, and it's same thing with like, like with the science and all that. So um, having somebody like, so what Rob does is he, from his engineering perspective works, he is working on the technology and the, and the engineering curriculum, but then he's bringing it into the math classroom and the science classroom and saying, this is what we did here. How can I help you design this lab around what we did in our technology class and really making it interdisciplinary? Um, he's always talking to me about how like in stats, I need to be using Python for stats. And so I haven't quite done all the things there, but um, he's like, I, I, you know, that's how you can like really integrate with something that's much more um, um, oh, used in the field. Like a lot of the things that we do in STEM education is we do these things that are super low level because they're easy to do, but they're not applicable in a technical field at all. But what we're doing with our company is we're taking actual things like Arduinos, which they actually use as engineers, Arduinos, Raspberry Pi, things like that, and bring them into um, schools so that so that kids can have access to that and be able to create technology with with professional level tools. Um, and, and hopefully over time, like our vision is is bigger than what we're doing right now, but um, that hopefully we can um, you know, grow that vision into, you know, more of a marketplace and, and design engineering and, and incorporate different, um, um, courses along with that, you know, whether it be, whether it be your science and your math together or, or even into other subjects. Um, like I'm constantly asking, uh, people to help me in the history department, like, Hey, let me help you when you design things for psychology or you design things for whatever, help, let me help you design a study that's like, worth something statistically instead of just throwing out numbers that mean nothing. Okay. Okay. So you're really trying to help kids be creative and to tinker and to grapple with real world problems that people are actually doing in the business world, in the engineering world, um, and to maybe just get away from these artificially contrived situations that textbooks would emphasize. 
Yeah, for sure. And and I think too, what's so great, kids naturally have this curious, exploratory, big idea thinking. They they do that as little kids. You know, whether it's my kids decided when they were young that they wanted to invent a snowball throwing time machine. I don't know why um, the snowballing thing would be important, but like my point is they, they dream big, kids dream big. And at some point we kind of, we kind of limit that, but like being able to access these ideas that the kids have and then helping them say, well, you don't have to wait until you're out of college to do that. What can you, what can you use right now that, uh, what can we come up with right now? Even if it's not specifically like, you know, technology, technology heavy or whatever, what could you, what could we use right now that, um, could help us, could help us kind of design something for that. And then being able to integrate like, Hey, so you want this thing that, um, you know, if we put a motor in there and we, and then being able to give them a little bit, okay, you've came up with this whole big idea, but you know how to implement it. So now let's talk about like the coding and the mechanics and the physics that would be involved so that you could, you could create that and, mm-hmm. and make it even to the point where it might be marketable or, um, or things like that. So, so like, that's our, that's our big vision as, as, as kids grow, like having to give them the foundation. Yes. But then having them bring in ideas that they are, that they are interested in, that they're generally genuinely interested in, um, and helping them make that a reality with, with the knowledge that they know, um, that they have or, or like step it up to get to that knowledge, um, is, is, is huge. Um, so whether it's my friend who, um, we, we lament like in, cause Hannah wears braces on her legs that like, you have to, you have to buy a $4,000 pair of braces to find out that it's not the right thing for your kid. And then insurance will only pay for one every, every year. So then you have to figure out, well, this wasn't the right thing for my kid. Now, what do I do now? Well, what if I could, what if I could design something and 3d print it? And, and give you a trial one so that you could find out if it was the right thing for your kid and then spend the $4,000, you know? So things like that, like real problems that people are facing, how can we, how can we make a space for that in education so that kids can be more aware of problems, but also use their creativity and, and imagination to be able to, to find solutions. That sounds pretty awesome. And I can see why there's a need for it. It's because you're emphasizing the basics and the foundation. We're, we're not getting away from, oh, for example, basic algebra that people would need to know in order to be creative and to build things that people actually need. But on the flip side of things, we actually are building things that people actually need. And I just think that that's awesome what you and your husband are doing. And I just want to honor and respect you for that. Um, I'd, I'd like to shift back to kids and just do kind of a lightning round of questions here, if this <laughs> is okay. Uh, so just how much thought or, I guess, hopes and dreams do you put into, for example, your kids' grades? Yeah, so we think of our kids' school as their primary job. Um, and so so we do, we do prioritize that. Um, however... That varies based on the kid. And I don't want it to say that, like, my expectations are different for each kid, but I also know that, like, my, my kids are different in their motivation and, and independence regarding grades. So I have a couple of kids who are like, oh, yeah, this is my homework. I got it. I did it done. It's fine. I have another kid who, like, I need to see your planner every single day, and I need to see your completed assignment. Do I go through everything, every single item with them? No. But 
like I just know that that he needs a little bit of uh, he needs me to to touch that with him, make sure that that it gets done. So, um, and the other thing is when when I when we get our when we get those grade reports, um, I let my kids look at it first. I don't look at it first, and I say to them, "Are you proud of those grades?" Before I even see them, "Are you proud of those grades?" And they will tell me if they are or not. And um, I don't care if it's a 52. Well, I do care if it's 52 because there's no reason for that in elementary school. But like, if, if they tell me that they did their very best to get that 85, then I'm going to be like, and they're proud of that 85. I'm like, hey, that is so awesome. I'm really excited for you. Um, like, good for you. Like, I, I don't know if you know this, Tim, but I don't tell my kids I'm proud of them. Um, a lot of people say that's like messed up, but I, I want them to be proud of themselves. Mm. So I will say things like you should be really proud of yourself or look how hard you worked or I'm excited for you. I won't say that I'm proud of them. <laughs> well, I think that's um, fine. It, it reminds me a little bit of what author Pro, ba uh, Pro Bronson found out about kids. Pope Bronson, that's the man's name. Sorry. He found out that Parents who praised kids' intelligence were setting them up for failure. That right. they were, oh, yeah. They were blowing up their kids' egos, and then the minute the kid ran into anything difficult, then the kid thought, gosh, these people have been lying to me all this time, telling me how smart I am. I just made right. an F. I'm not very smart. Bronson thought instead people should praise kids' hard work, that they should say, you know, you really worked hard on that assignment, and then it didn't make too much of a difference if the kid made an F, a C, or an A. Yeah. Uh, because you can always, you can adjust your hard work. It's kind of hard to adjust your IQ except through your hard work. So I, I kind of like your attitude of not telling your kids, oh, I'm proud of you. And just maybe taking a different attitude or spin on that. I, I think that's good. Yeah, and, and with the with that 85, it doesn't mean that like I'm always going to be like, hey, 85, like that's the best you can do. When I, if they say, like, hey, I worked really hard for that 85, I might say something like, well, do, do you want that grade to go up? And they'll, of course, say yes. Like, I would love for that. I would say, well, what, what do you think that I could do to help you bring that up? Or what can we work on together to make that to make that go up? Not because I'm not happy, like I'm somehow the grade Nazi, um, but, but to say, like, hey, like, maybe if we worked, or maybe we need to work differently. Maybe you worked really hard for that. Um, but if we want to go to the next level, we're going to, have to do something different. And I, and I'm here to help you with that rather than like, um, you know, like, oh, you have to get a certain number. I don't, I don't want to be, I don't want my kids to be defined by numbers. Okay. I think that's totally fair. Uh, how about their reading that they do in their lives? Yeah. So my kids are huge, 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 huge readers. Um, we start about a year before kindergarten with any kid. And I really sit down every single day and work with them wherever they are. And so like, if I can say there's anything I've actually taught my kids, I've taught all my kids to read before kindergarten. They're all fluent readers when they go into kindergarten and they all explode when they get to school too, because they just have, they have somebody who's, who can help them, you know, get, where are they get to the next level. So that's great. Um, we always, one of our, one of our summer things that we do, um, is we, I always have an individual book that I'm reading with each kid. And so, um, so that's super fun. And, and we take turns reading out loud. Um, a lot of them are books that like, I just love, 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 love. Um, and, um, 
you know, I, I want to experience those things with them. It's like my favorite, favorite thing. Um, and then other books that like, I know I think are great books, but my kids are not going to pick up. We might get on an audio book and listen when we're writing around in the car. So like, for instance, like when I was a kid, I loved Anna Green Gables, but my boys, like they're not going to pick up Anna Green Gables unless somebody tells them to. Well, I put that in the C and you know, CD uh, audio book in the car and, and we listened to it one summer and I was like, Hey, you guys know that there's a sequel. Do you want to listen to the sequel? Yeah. Yeah. We want to listen to the sequel. But like, I don't think for a minute that my kids would like pick that up on their own. So, um, so we do reading is a huge thing. Most of my kids, um, when they get home, particularly my 11 year old who like really dislikes school, he comes home, he changes out of his uniform into pajamas and he picks up a book. And I'm like, like, I don't care if it's the same book you've read 18 times. You come home, you read a book. That's like his de, that's like his just decompression time that he gets to read. And, um, and then after a certain point, say, okay, let's put the book away and we'll work on that homework or whatever. But, um, they love to read. Um, now I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not like, except for the books that we read together. Like I don't filter a whole, whole, whole lot. Um, unless I know that there's something questionable in a book, um, you know, that we can talk about. And, and a lot of some of the books, those are some of the books that we pick up together. Um, we talk about, you know, just, you know, issues with that book that was written in the early 19, in the 1920s. Um, we, there are things that are going to come up that we need to talk about. And we talk about them. But I, I don't think that there's like a reason to say like, no, you shouldn't read that book. I think that for the most part. I think that you should say, like, okay, well, here's an issue that came up. Let's discuss that and talk about and talk about what what we know now, or or how what our what our belief about that certain thing is. Um, so, yeah, but they they love to read. That's awesome. I'm an English major myself, and my mom was a librarian. I am just a zillion percent in favor of reading. I think that's just great. Uh, how about screen time? Do you monitor how much screen time each person gets? Yeah, we do. We um, screen time is a huge is a huge thing. Um, it's just not good to have. It's just not good to have too much. I mean, there's been numerous studies um, about that. Um, so we do. We we monitor it like really close. We also monitor content um, much more so than we do with reading because with um, with screen time, screen time like when you read a book you're imagining things for yourself. But when you watch a movie or a show, like once you see something, you can't unsee it. And so, um, like I've read books that I've been like, oh, I enjoyed that book. And my husband would be like, you, you did? Like, it was kind of like, it was a lot more violence than I thought that like you would have, you would have cared for. But like, I didn't imagine it like that as much as he maybe did. But when you watch the movie of it and it's, it's so much more graphic, like that's, that's totally different. So we do, we monitor and it's different for every kid, really. Like what can you handle? Um, like if we watch a movie with our, with our older kid, um, he knows that like they're going to use language, but you can't use that language. Like that's, you, you know, what's appropriate. And, and, and that's the same with like violence. We really, really monitor for, um, sexual, um, content more than anything else. Um, which means a lot of stuff, even things that are good that we want the kids to see, we'll fast forward through that scene or whatever, because, um, because the movie has some great things in it, but we need, we need to not be focusing on that. Um, 
but yeah, that's something that we really believe strongly in that like once you see something, you can't unsee it. And so like, it's our job to, to filter that, um, to a certain point. Okay. Um, how about who they're friends with? Um, yeah. So our kind of, um, our kind of philosophy is you're friends with everyone until you get to a certain point and then you pick the friends that you really can be friends with. And what I mean, what I mean by that is like, like you need to be something more than just surface level friends. Um, so for my kids, typically that means, except for maybe Hannah, who's friends with everybody, but typically that means like through like third grade, it's kind of like groups. You're just doing all these things with groups and whatever. And then after that, you know, you kind of know who you want to spend more time with. And so, um, so then that's more like one-on-one and, and the kids get to where there's probably have like three or four good friends. Um, to be, to be really truthful, that's probably the area that as a parent I'm most efficient with just because like our kids are always playing with each other, which is great, but that means that maybe we don't schedule as many like friend time as maybe we should. Um, although I hope that their siblings will be friends, lifelong friends. Um, but, um, when, when, you know, when we get to be friends, we also like to just get to know the families. We want it to be like family apostolate too. So, you know, not like you can't hang out with this kid unless we've like okayed your family, but like, Hey, like your kids want to play. Why don't you guys come over too? And we'll hang out and get to know each other. So that's, that's good. Especially as they get older. Um, you know, knowing that like those parents are okay with the same things that we're okay with, um, is important. Okay. As a parent, what do you worry about the most? Yeah. Um, so I would say like, um, I, their care, their character formation really, um, you know, are they lazy? Are they working hard? Are they, um, are they, are they really kind? Like we tell kids, our kid, we tell our kids, like you have to be kind to every single person, but you don't have to be friends with them. You don't have to hang out with them on the weekend. Um, if you know, um, how do you deal with, you know, so like at the, so, so yeah, so character formation and then ultimately like, like, where are you in your faith? Have we, have we, um, helped you to, to really have a friendship with Christ? Um, you know, all the other things like even health is like, well, I know that you're on loan. You're on loan to me and your dad, like you're really God's and he's just loaning you, you to us. For this, so are we are we doing everything we can to um, make you the person he needs you to be, um, so that you can go back to him? And and so um, so that that's really like I think ultimately what our what we worry about like are are we doing everything we can to to make our kids good people? I, I feel like. You may have just answered my key question, which is, what is your ultimate goal, your ultimate responsibility? Um, is there anything that I've left out on the parenting questions that you would really like to touch on? No, I mean, every family is going to be different. And so like, so things are successful and our, and our family are, are different than others. Um, we have, um, some friends that used to be here and, and she's what you call like a family life success coach. And, um, she things that she said, like, like live the life you want your kids to live. 
are your kids seeing that you're spending time with friends? Are your kids seeing that you're spending time with God? Um, like you can't expect your kids to be doing those things if you're not. And so like, um, sometimes I think, sometimes I think, especially in our culture, we're a little too kid centered. Um, and to, um, allow them to, to be their own people and to make their own mistakes and things like that are, is really important, but to help them see that like you're struggling too, that to, to, to grow all the time. I, I think that's really what it is. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I was Gen X, so we were in the neglected group of kids. So we're used to it. I'm just kind of kidding. Um, my last question is, let's fast forward to age 100 for you. You are sitting on the front porch of your house. Your loving husband is holding your hand. You are surrounded by children and grandchildren, maybe great-grandchildren. Everybody is nearby, and you're looking back on a great life. What are you most excited by or humbled by at age 100? Yeah, so if we're all sitting together, and we're all together, I think building, building a family that knows that we're different, each of us are different, but that we still um, love each other unconditionally so that we're really all sitting together we're all hanging out, even though we're all got our different things. I think that's like, that would be something to be really excited, exciting for me. Um, just, you know, there's, there's so many families with, with lots of discord um, and that, that we've created an environment where our kids feel loved and nurtured and belong, even, even though we're all different. We all have our own personalities. Um, so I think that would be, um, I also think just looking back and being like, yeah, we struggled together. Like when people look back on their life, everybody has struggled. Um, and so that we struggled together and it helped us grow more in communion. Um, those are the, like, really that's the goal, right? We're all going to struggle. So are you going to struggle in a way that brings you together? Or are you going to struggle in a way that drives you apart? And so um, struggling in a way that brings us all together, um, that would be really important to me. And that, um, that, yeah, again, that I look back and I can say, like, I have this huge, this beautiful family. I don't know why I was given this beautiful family. I'm so blessed to have a large family, but that I spent time, like, really getting to know and spending time individually to make sure that my kids know that they are unrepeatable and, and so valued and unconditionally loved that they in turn would then want to have their own children, that they help to know that they're loved unconditionally and known. Um, like that, that would be like a great end of my life. That is awesome. Well, Leanne, Thank you so much for just taking the time to talk and to give wisdom on children and complexity of life and everything. So I just I want to thank you and, and I really appreciate this. Oh, well, thank you so much for asking me, Tim. <laughs> okay. Well, I will see you soon. All right. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Seemingly Ordinary. The two biggest favors you can do for me would be for you to share this episode with friends. 
and also to check out my books on Amazon. I have a novel that's a dystopian future called The Forbidden Book and a thriller called The Conspiracy of 1869 about a noble president whose White House gets invaded by the terrorists of the day and also a personal finance book for teenagers called Money for Teens. Thank you, and we'll be back Thursday.